I said I had answers to all these questions, didn't I? I don't have an answer to that one. I just realized that. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. Uh-uh. And the technology. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Brad in L.A. And Spearsy. And today we honor the late Ann Beats and her 80s creation, Square Pegs. Listen, I've got this whole high school thing psyched out. It all breaks down into clicks. Clicks? Yeah, you know, clicks. Little in-groups of different kids. All we have to do is click with the right click and we can finally have a social life that's worthy of us. No way. Not even with cleavage. I told you. This year we're going to be popular. Yeah? Yeah. Even if it kills us. Stuck in the 80s is now listener-supported via Patreon. Join us for VIP Zoom happy hours and more when you join us at patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Steve, joining us today to cover this most worthy topic, someone that defies clicks, who has elevated herself above any need to participate in a click. It's Jen with one N. Hey, guys. It's been a while. And I must just add, before we uh, we gathered tonight to talk about this wonderful show, I was on a PTO meeting. So there you go. <laughs> so Someone who was not accepted into any clicks is now on the PTO. Were you really not in any click in high school? I was like the square pegs click, right? I was like in the click of like the leftover people who... <laughs> the leftovers. <laughs> I wasn't smart enough or, or got enough good enough grades to be in the nerds and I wasn't a cheerleader. I mean, I was sort of like, and I'm sure a lot of people will relate to this who are listening. I was just kind of like leftover, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't especially any one thing. Hmm. Let me ask you this. What, what click would you have chosen to be in had it been up to you? I really liked the punks, but I wish they had washed more. (laughs) (laughs) I feel the same way about the band geeks. Hey, now. No offense. <laughs> offense taken. We're gathered here today to to honor the memory of Ann Beats. She was a amazing comedy writer for decades. The crowning achievement of her work was Square Pegs, and we're going to get to that in a minute. If, if you're not familiar with the work of Ann Beats, I, I'll give you a quick primer. She broke into the boys' Club of Comedy and took no prisoners. If you ever watched the Netflix movie, A Futile and Stupid Gesture, which is sort of the comic retelling of the founding of uh, National Lampoon magazine, you would know that she was one of the original writers at the magazine when it started in the 70s. And she was one of the only female contributors of the magazine. During her time at the Lampoon, she's probably best known. I mean, I know I, I, I granted uh, Lampoon kind of predates a lot of us, but she was probably best known for writing the ad parody of Volkswagen, which had a VW bug floating in the water, uh, along with the wording, if Ted Kennedy drove a Volkswagen, he'd be president today. Oh, man. Lampoon got sued over that. 
big time. I got sued over a lot of things. From National Lampoon uh, and jumped to become a, a writer on the staff of Saturday Night Live. Again, one of the first women on the show. The stories that she has, by the way, about her time at SNL are legendary. She talks about the feud that she had with John Belushi, who she had previously worked with at the Lampoon. They were part of the um, comic troupe, The Lemmings. John Belushi did not like women writers. He didn't think they were funny. And so he was always trying to get them fired. Hmm. Not cool, bro. No, no. And even though they worked together and all that kind of stuff, every time Ann Beats talks about uh, SNL, she talks about John Belushi. I guess at one point they came to her and said, oh, my God, there's a huge mistake. You're being tremendously overpaid because she was getting just as much money as the men writers. Man. But Ann stood her ground, said, I'm not giving the money back. And eventually she won that battle. One of the the funny tales of her at SNL was that she had it in her contract that she had to have a hospital bed in her office because she would sleep in it pretty much two or three nights a week. Uh, the receptionist would come in and change the sheets weekly. <laughs> she would shower and change in the office, order breakfast, and then tip the delivery guy with joints. Hmm. In 1987... After Square Pegs, like I said, we'll get to in a minute. She went on and she produced the first season of the Cosby spinoff, A Different World. When she passed away at age 74 back in April, she got a lot of love and print and online from a generation of writers who just simply idolized her and for good reason. She was a legend. And we, we are here today to honor one of her greatest creations, the TV show Square Pegs. So, Jen, do you remember this show from when it aired, or what What are your memories of watching this show? I remember this show. I remember I was probably, I feel like this was around the era of Knight Rider, so I was probably in about fifth grade. I loved this show to pieces. I really, really did. I thought it was the coolest show. I thought the music was really cool. I thought the clothes were really cool. And I loved that it was about a bunch of girls, like the two leads, of course, um, Mm -hmm. Lauren and Patty. They're the part of the show, but there's a lot of other like young women that are around. They just got to talk a lot. I don't know how else to put it. Like there were so many sitcoms at the time where it was just dudes. It was boys and it was guys all the time. And then that like it'd be a pretty blonde who would come in and whatever, help TJ Hooker or whatever. But um, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Or like Daisy Duke mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But this was a show about the girls and that and I couldn't have put it into those words at the time, but it felt different. And it was really funny. I thought it was really funny. I hadn't thought about the fact that this show passed the Bechtel test probably every week. Yeah. And it wasn't by accident either. Right. We'll probably talk about that yeah. as we talk about how the writing and producing and directing of it all. Brad, what was your introduction to the show? I remember watching it when it was on. I don't think, I, I know it got moved late in the season. You know, late in the season, they moved it to a Wednesday slot. And I don't really remember watching the second half of the season for whatever reason. But I remember like talking to my friends at high school, especially after the Devo episode aired. People walked up to me and was like, oh, so that's Devo. Oh, wow, that was pretty cool. I'm like, yeah, you should check them out. I really thought it was a lot of fun. And you know, having rewatched it recently, I see why I liked it. I remember it was the talk of the school. Everybody was watching it. And I think I think to some degree, some of the charm of it was that you could relate to somebody in the cast. Yeah. 
I don't know who I related to. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I want to be Johnny Slash so bad, but I'm I'm probably uh, I'm probably the the never pictured boyfriend of Muffy or something like that. You're you're Blackman. Let's face it. <laughs> God, no. Wait, no, I'm Blackman. I, I think you're right, though, Steve. I think people wanted to be Johnny and realized I can't do that. I could tell bad jokes though. Sign me up for that one. <laughs> We've been doing that for 15 years. 15, uh, 50. Here's the story that I've read about how the show got started. One of the sketches that Ann Beach wrote when she was at SNL was the nerds sketch. And I think it was Bill Murray and Gilda Radner, and I could be wrong about that. Mm-hmm. But she had these ongoing characters who were high school nerds. Um, and it was, you know, painfully funny, but it resonated with people. And I think when it came time for her to have her big pitch, like everybody, everybody at SNL had all this money thrown at them because they were such phenomenal successes. So when Ann got her shot, she pitched the idea, like, what if these nerds were the center of a TV show? And I remember that the TV executives at the time said, well, you know, will they be making out with boys? Will they be having sex? And she's like, no. They're nerds. They'll be getting none of that. They'll want it. I can verify that. (laughs) So even though it didn't have what TV executives wanted, that's it got greenlit because everything got greenlit if it had SNL as part of it. And it became a TV show. And I think that's what makes it originally so charming and so attractive to us is that it didn't feel overly Hollywoodized, if that's a word. It is now. It was also different because it was a one camera show, right? And I and I used to have trouble verbalizing that when I was a kid because I was like, I don't know, the tape, what's the difference like the the when it's live and filmed live in front of a studio audience, the tape has a different quality than film, which is what Very square so. pegs had. So it feels like a movie every week because of the film quality of it. So I always thought it was like that felt even different, right? Because you're usually watching sitcoms where it's a studio audience and it feels very obvious even though there was a laugh track which i never quite synced up to when i rewatched it for this it's really distracting the laugh track it's, it's like we know where the funny parts are i don't need help identifying when i'm supposed to laugh and but it's, this, it's distracting but, yeah, but this is hollywood in the early 80s i mean this is, I, I this get is, that that's what they did what's really distracting to me when i watch it today is it seemed like you called it a one camera show. I think it's mm-hmm. a one microphone show. There's times when they're walking down the hallway having a conversation, and I'm like, "Did somebody forget to mic this scene?" <laughs> Probably. Steve, just, there's just, this thing called a remote control, and you just keep pushing the up arrow until it gets someplace. There's times where it's like you can't understand what they're saying. I don't know if it's just that you know I own it on Amazon, and so I, I can watch it at my whimsy, but. There's times when I'm like, I, I don't understand what they're saying. It's, it's the audio is completely dropped out. It just it's like they've walked away from the microphone or something. And it, it, it could very well be Steve. I mean, this was shot at an abandoned high school in Norwalk, which is not exactly the middle of Hollywood. And I think that probably helped them in some ways because they were away from some of that studio influence. They couldn't escape the laugh track, but they didn't have quite as much kind of industry oversight, if you will. Um, it's sure. the same school that they shot your beloved Grease 2 at. Yes, that's Ooh. a very important fact. I was hoping you somebody <laughs> would bring that up. Oh, my God. Well, now, now I've got to reconsider the whole show. Uh, Excelsior High School. <laughs> really? Norwalk, California. So Norwalk is in the greater L.A. area? Yeah. it's kind of, If you were, let's say you were in Hollywood and you decided, let's go to Disneyland, you would kind of go through Norwalk on the way. It's kind of industrial 
middle of nowhere y it sounds like a virus. The middle of nowhere in the middle of an urban jungle. I still think the key to this show is the cast. Can we talk about the cast for a minute? Who wants to go through the cast? Because, I mean, I, I think this is an interesting collection of actors at, at this particular age in their uh, career. I'll start with talking about the first two, right? Lauren and Patty. You can't turn your back on your musical talent. Your voice happens to be a real gift. A gift? Some gift. I'd rather have my own phone. So don't audition. It's okay with me. Maybe you want to spend the rest of your life singing Be a Pepper into the bathroom mirror. Hey, come on, I'm a great pepper. That doesn't make you popular. Lauren Hutchinson was played by Amy Linker, who was actually, the funny thing is they were both really pretty. (laughs) And maybe I say that as an adult who like knows that they were, you know, wearing fake glasses and fake braces and and had padding to, to, you know, so Lauren would be a little chubbier. So Amy Linker went to Beverly Hills High, she had a big crush on Crispin Glover, which I learned about in the the DVD extras. Um, so but she, yeah, but she like hung out with other other actors, and then after that, did some voice work on the Mr. T animated series, and eventually left. And I love this fact: got a degree in social work, and now works as a therapist. Oh, which makes me really happy somehow because I feel like Lauren made good or something like that. So right. so Lauren, right at the beginning of the show, they talk about we're going to be popular if it kills us. And Lauren is really the one who drives this project all year long, is this like, I want to be popular so bad. Sarah Jessica Parker plays Patty Green, her best, best, best friend, who kind of cares sometimes, but mostly is like herself and is like, this is foolish and everybody's dumb. And and that blasé sort of attitude is so attractive (laughs) to any young person who's like, I can't wait to get out of this place. Don't you think that she's kind of the anchor of the show? Sure. Like she's the soul of the show. Yes. She's the window that we see it all through. And she does such a good job. And she's she's the one you have the most empathy for. I mean, she's the one I think if, if you connect with anybody, you connect with Patty. Yes, agreed. Agreed. You guys want to talk about the next coolest couple? Because, well, before we move on, I just want to say that I agree that Patty's the heart of the show, but the fact that these two are best friends, because I always growing up was like, learned this and have taught this to my daughter since if you have one best friend, you're golden. If you have more, great, good for you. That's fun. But if you have one best friend, that's all you need, you know? And it was that relationship between the two girls that brought me back week after week watching the show. Wow. Way to put pressure on your daughter. <laughs> well, she's got a million friends, this girl, so I don't worry about her. But Don't um, blow it, kid. Yeah. Does somebody want to talk about Jennifer Denuccio? Oh, my gosh. I'll talk a little bit about Jennifer Denuccio. You're catching me at Miss Loomis's house. Snoo City. If I wanted to be stuck with all girls, I would have joined a monastery. Jennifer Tanucci is played by Tracy Nelson. Yes, that was Ricky Nelson's daughter, Ozzy and Harriet's granddaughter. If you <laughs> don't know who that is, if your parents are still around, you should ask them. She studied ballet for 17 years and then went on to do, you know, Steve and I were talking about this earlier. She went on to do a lot of work, acting work. Famously, you'd remember her from Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Uh, and I think of, I always think right to Father Dowling Mysteries. <laughs> she was Sister Steve, who like could steal cars and stuff, which I thought was great. You know, she just did a ton of television in the late 80s and 90s. One husband, one partner, two kids, and as a survivor of three rounds of cancer. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. You know, can I say something about her character, though? I, I want to strangle the, the writers who give her her lines. Tracy can act, and they give her the most ridiculous lines in this series i mean 
it's vow speak times 10 to the point that future wife and I were watching it the other day and she's like, what is wrong with this person? I'm like, that's, that's vow speak. She's like, it's so stiff and, and manufactured. It's funny that you say that because as I was watching it, I was like, okay, the acting is not always good. Not just Jennifer Denuccio, but the other, but the cast as well. Like it's just feels a little overblown at times and many times, Mm -hmm. to be honest. But what I love about it is everyone is so committed to their part. That's true. They're so committed. Like I feel like in their spare time, they're writing journals in the voice of that person. You know what I mean? Like trying to get into the (laughs) spirit of that person. But I have to say, Jennifer Denuccio, I thought she was cool as shit when I was young. I really thought she was so amazing. <laughs> but now watching it again, she is funny. I think she's the funniest one on the show. I think her lines are hilarious. And I think the way she, the way she delivers them are really, really funny. And it, it is, it's odd and stilted because of that whole Valley breathy thing. But I think she's really funny and really good in this part. Well, Jen pointed me to the DVD extras, which you can find on YouTube. And one of the things that she says in her little interview there is that she was just trying to mimic her classmates. She was going to high school in the Valley at the time. And so she was doing this voice. And then, you know, hey, have you heard this new song Frank Zappa put out? She was like, wait a minute. No, no, I'm not doing a bad imitation of her. She's doing a bad imitation of me. I thought that was just classic. Totally. Like and the me. other thing was she had just, I guess right before they started or right before she got cast, she just gotten her hair cut really short and the director, you know, Beats and, and company were like, oh no, that's not going to work. And so she's wearing a wig the entire series. Oh, wow. I didn't know it's that. It's not good. It's not great. <laughs> I'm really bad at spotting wigs as Brad would know as I stare at his on our video screen. <gasps> what are you saying? <laughs> it's all natural. You finally got your hair cut though. It looks I great. did. Oh my gosh. It's glorious. So happy. So when we talk about couples, do we mean like the BFF couple or the couple couple? You know, I kind of would lean toward the BFF because I believe they were always together, these two. So we're talking about, um, of course, Jennifer Denuccio and her BFF is LaDonna Fredericks, played by Claudette Wells. I look at it as a good career move for me. I mean, in five years, I could be doing Bob Hope specials and light beer commercials. Shoot, I might be the next Bubba Smith. Come on. I mean, if God had wanted women to play football, he'd have made a men instead. Hey, Vinny, if God had wanted you to talk, he would have given you a brain. Oh, yeah? Well, if God... Later, Vinny. Much later. They're still best friends, and it's so funny because I, I think they have really nice chemistry so on the show. She yells a lot. I found that in her role, she, like, says a lot of, does a lot of yelling. Girl! Yeah, yeah, which is so funny. Like I hear writers of shows today talk about representation and like who's in the room and who's actually writing these things. So we know that most of the writers on this show were women. I think there was one, Ann Beats called him a token male. (laughs) It was mostly written by women. I'm going to bet $100 that none of them was black, which would explain her weird lines. (laughs) I love her line in the Halloween episode. I don't know, girl. Halloween, huh? To me. White people in sheets is not a good time. I hate that holiday. That's pretty funny. <laughs> There's little gems of dialogue that are 10 times funnier than they should be like that. Like they're yeah. just like, like when you're watching the Simpsons and there's a joke thrown in there that only the adults get kind of thing. Right. Yeah. You kind of wondered like did standards and practices just not pay that close attention or <laughs> they lulled them to sleep. Know. Yeah. 
I think what's interesting is her boyfriend, Vinny Pacetta, played yeah. by John Caleri. Wait a minute. Uh, this I don't want to say. I hope this won't come as too much of a disappointment to my fans, but uh, I'm dropping out of the race. You mean you're conceding? No, I'm just dropping out of the race. <laughs> Collect my votes tonight. In the van. It's like they dragged him straight out of Welcome Back, Cotter. Oh it's my like, gosh, you're right. That's perfect. It's just like, you know what? We're going to take a little bit of grease. We're going to take a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, John, just go watch uh, Welcome Back, Cotter for 10 episodes and then come in and just do that. I don't know how realistic of a, of a character he is, but he, he is another piece in the very, very diverse puzzle that is the cast of Square Pegs. I know he was also in High School USA, the, the Michael J. Fox TV movie that, that gave a lot of actors their, their start. And it looks like his career disappeared about as quickly as it started. I think he's a dog breeder now, Steve. Nothing wrong with dog breeders. I have hey, a dog. So. I like dogs. Dogs are cool. What's funny is I think Vinny was supposed to be the cute one that you put your, you know, was in Tiger Beat and you put his picture up. But naturally, the cool girls <laughs> gravitated to Johnny Slash, who was really the cute one and really weird and offbeat and had great taste in music and always had Wayfarers on and a, his <laughs> Walkman on <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. Johnny Slash played by uh, Merritt Buttrick and... I did not know this until I was just staring at the notes that he plays James T. Kirk's son in Star Trek two and three, which I was just watching today because of you course didn't it's know made that. Up. No, no, I don't know why I didn't know that. He's fantastic in those. Yeah, well, he's believable as Kirk's kid because he's got curly hair, and he's believable as the Doctor's son because he's got blonde hair. It just works. It just works. <laughs> He's definitely the star of the show, and, and from from a male point of view, anyway. I mean, he he plays a, a punk rocker who's been in, he, he's been there longer than four years, right? He's been there a while. He's laid back and he's left back, and he's the only genuine punk in Limoe Central High. I love him. I love this man. Are you really a punk? Punk? No way. I'm new wave. Totally different head. Totally. It's a totally different head. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I walked, walked right into that. <laughs> yeah, well, he was I was wondering if upon rewatching it if I would think he was as cute as I did when I was a kid and the answer is yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, Merritt is no longer with us. He died in 1989 of toxoplasmosis complicated by AIDS. Wow. Yeah. But I I think we've left here to the tail end a couple of important characters. Marshall Blackman was played by John Fenia. Some guidance counselor. What does he know about doing stand up? He doesn't even know who books the Carson show. What about Merv? Ah, Merv's small potatoes. First you gotta do Carson, then you get your series. But Merv does theme shows. I like themes. Themes are good. He was a kid with some TV chops at the time. He'd been on Hello Larry, which I feel like we've talked about this show before. It was a, it was a um, theme song challenge. Oh. Okay. He'd been on Hello Larry, and that's actually how he got this part. He was coming out of another audition, and the casting director who had cast him in Hello Larry saw him in the hall. It's like, oh, what are you reading for at Square Pegs? He's like, I'm not. He's like, yes, you are. Come with me. He didn't do a whole lot after this series. He's kind of disappeared from in front of the camera. He's, he's doing stand-up. He's still giving the gift of laughter, as he loves to do. Can I give him props for one thing? His wardrobe was right on the money. I mean, he looked exactly like half the people I went to high school with. Well, and I'll give him credit for decorating the radio station. Oh, yeah. So good, right? All those posters. Oh, my gosh. 
Oh my gosh. And the cleverly placed posters, like the poster for Killer Pussy, some of it was covered up so you couldn't see all the words. If you knew what it was, you knew what it was. But if you didn't, it was just another poster. Right. And I also just want to point out the sweet friendship that Marshall and Johnny had. They were always Mm -hmm. together too. Again, you just need the one. (laughs) Just one thing. And wait a minute. We cannot end this conversation about the cast without talking about wonderful... Ms. Jamie Gertz as Muffy Tepperman. Simmer down. This is an orientation, not a picnic. I'm Muffy Tepperman. I'm the captain of the Weema Wee JV Pep Squad, and I'm here to make sure you all have a good time. Within limits. And now, I sincerely think it behooves me to introduce to you our beloved principal and friend, Dr. Winthrop Dingleman. She is so good at this part. She, I feel like she, like didn't go to hair and makeup or or costume at all she just like woke up and walked in and like that's what she was she was wearing you know her penny loafers with the pennies in them and the culottes or whatever like she was very convincing in this role it would behoove you to believe that right Uh, she's great in this and again you got to find the the thing where she talks about auditioning for this in chicago and then getting called out to la and they send a limo. Like, oh my gosh, what is this? Can I say one thing about her character though? That I'm still confused by it. She seems like the villain. She does villainous things, but she always gets away with. It. Nobody calls her on it. I have a theory about this, Steve, and this just occurred to me today. So I'm glad we didn't record this too early. Muffy has opted out of the system. She doesn't care if she's popular, so she kind of is a villain in that she could cause you to question the whole hierarchy. She doesn't care. She doesn't care if the popular kids like her. She just picks on Lauren and Patty because she knows they don't have anything else to do. And so she can rope them into her schemes. I buy that. I like that. Muffy has the most confidence of everyone else in the show. 100%. Yeah. She just believes in whatever she's doing and that you should believe in it too, no matter what it is. You can't tell me you didn't have at least one classmate that was like that. Yeah. And then they became class president. Right, or they wanted to be valedictorian, so they would, you know, game as many systems as they could to get as many A's as they could, or whatever it was that right. they wanted to do. Totally, Muffy Tepperman. When, when you when we talk about these characters, you talk about their qualities. Isn't it a, a natural inclination to sort of match them up with the people who you knew in high school? Like, you started talking about Muffy, and I started thinking, well, who's Muffy? It was who was Muffy in my high school? And then you said class president. I'm like, nah. Like, I mean, maybe our class president was Muffy, but she was smart. But she was also pretty popular. I don't think you could talk about the cast of the show without talking about some of the guest appearances. Like any first-year sitcom, they fell on the lazy habit of, well, if we're, if ratings aren't going so well, let's bring in bigger names as guest stars. <laughs> and there's, it's full of them. Uh, I think one of the first ones you see is you see the waitresses. The, the actual band, the waitresses, are, they perform at the end of the pilot. Yep. So cool. <laughs> it's so it's awkward. Let's face it. It's a little awkward when you see it happen. I love it. <laughs> it's a TV appearance by a band. And now when you see it, it's so obvious that they're not playing. Yeah. But at the time, you're like, oh, of course they're playing. This is great. <laughs> Father Guido Sarducci's in there playing a priest, I believe. As himself. Yeah. Again, SNL connection. Yeah. A lot of those. Steve Sachs shows up in a baseball episode late in the season. He was at the time the NL Rookie of the Year and played for the Dodgers, so he was in town. One of the weirdest ones is John Densmore, 
the drummer from the doors shows up that was bizarre (laughs) i mean you could have told me he was anybody but you read that a couple places and he actually he plays drums in johnny slash's band which was what was the name of it open it was open 24 hours and then it got changed changed 48 hours exactly (laughs) that's funny see i think that's an attempt to try to get kids to get their parents to watch the show too like Hey, Dad, didn't you used to like the doors? <laughs> yeah. They're on TV. <laughs> I think we buried the lead a little bit there. The, probably the biggest name that was a guest star on this was Bill Murray was on in the second half of the season. He puts in an appearance as a substitute teacher. <laughs> I think puts in an appearance is about the best way to describe that. I, I don't think he even bothered to look at the script. I really felt like he showed up and just kind of, did what he wanted to do and let people react to it, which I'm guessing is what it was like on SNL a lot of the times. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And that's that was one of my favorite episodes, actually. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I made it 10 minutes in and I turned it off. I, oh, I, I no. Could. Yeah. I, 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 as much as I want to love this series, you know, 40 years later, there's natural parts of it that are just adorable. And then there's parts that just make me want to, like bury my head in couch pillows and scream. Yeah. Well, I have to say too, the way the three of us watched it is not the way I would recommend rewatching this show. It is not bingeable, you know, like <laughs> it, it came on once a week and then you tuned in once a week and you watched it. And that's kind of where, I mean, maybe one a day or something like that, but to watch a few in a row, not a great idea. I don't recommend it. I highly recommend you revisit the show, um, but I don't recommend I don't think it stands the test of time in that way. Well, since you brought up maybe just watch one show at a time, maybe this is a good time to talk about everyone's favorite episode. Brad? Oh, come on. Do you, do you need to even <laughs> ask that question? It's Muffy's Bat Mitzvah. I would sincerely appreciate it if you would share the joy of the Tepperman family and attend my new wave Bat Mitzvah party at which Devo, coup of the century, will be entertaining Wait a minute, girl. Aren't you supposed to have your bat mitzvah at 13? Hey, this ain't kosher. Devo shows up, but even so, I think I was texting you while I was watching it. I'm like, this episode is the peak of this whole show for me. It had everything. Mm-hmm. It just had everything. You've you got Muffy muffying it up. You've got a great guest star. Jerry Seinfeld walks through a scene in the background on one of it. He's actually no way. in the episode. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it's you know, okay, Richard Blade also shows up, which that's fine. But <laughs> it's fantastic. It's an interesting idea. The, the whole point of the episode is the would-be or is villain of the show is is having her bat mitzvah. And it's a year later, I think, because they were traveling internationally the year that she was supposed to have. That's how they explain the age difference, because she's a little old to be having a bat mitzvah. Right. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. It's at a country club. And apparently her parents have hired Devo to perform. Now, at this point... Where is Devo career-wise, Brad? Devo had just released Oh No, It's Devo, which was kind of a departure from the previous couple albums. They moved a lot more of an electronic direction. So they're established, though. You know, that was a Warner Brothers release, and they were promoting it. I'm sure that that was part of how they ended up on the show. And it wasn't like their first network appearance. It might have been their first primetime appearance. Uh, Yeah, they'd been on SNL. Yeah. But okay. that was that had been four or five years ago at that point. And, and the whole premise of the episode is Buffy's going to have this thing, and she's not going to invite, of course, any of them regulars. So they all have to scam their way in to see the show. I agree. That's that's one of the best episodes. I, I could have watched that one more than once. Jen, what's your favorite episode? 
I liked a couple, but I'll be real, real brief. One is called It's Academical because it's called It's Academical, which I think <laughs> is so funny. I think that's hilarious. And it's a, it's an episode about a TV quiz thing. And oh, actually, Martin Mull guests on that. And, mm-hmm. and that's probably one of the reasons I'm, I'm picking this one. I want to say one thing about the writing. Like sometimes it does feel like a, an SNL sketch that's gone on far too long. And I think one of my, I guess, problems with the show is that sometimes like it's inconsistent and sometimes it's nonsensical. Adults show up here and there, you know what I mean? Like there's no parents, which I get that choice, but then there's a teacher, but sometimes she doesn't show up. So then Muffy Tepperman like leads the class and I'm sometimes I'm just like, where are the adults? And there are teachers in it that, you know, crop up, but it's very uneven. And then it's also a little nonsensical the way that the characters change throughout the season. Like it, at one point, Vinny is real dumb. And then at the end, he's like using big words. And it just you're just like, is this the same Vinny? Plus, I think, Brad, you had mentioned the increased blush situation with Vinny. This is what happens when you watch like six at a time. Exactly. You get my into point. The second half, I'm like, what is with all the lipstick and the blush, dude? I mean, you know, you do you, but what changed? And I don't know if she right. lit him differently or, or I what, don't know. but it's a big and his clothes. A, yeah. Yeah. His clothes too, like w- went through some changes that were just like, sometimes he looked like he walked off the set of fame and sometimes he looked like he walked off the set of Rocky. I mean, it was just <laughs> inconsistent and weird. That said, the other episode I really liked was hardly working, which is all about Jennifer Denuccio who has to get a job. Okay. I was working in the kitchen. Like, this is a Greek luncheonette, right? I mean, did you see The Greek Tycoon? Yeah. It's my favorite movie of all time. Well, I hated it. But anyway, those Greeks kept breaking all these dishes. Like, it's what they do. But when I did it, they got mad and made me be a waitress. It is hilarious. I think it is a very, very funny, of course, Muffy comes in and does some Muffy stuff. But it's the best one to showcase her talents because there's a scene where, like, I actually welled up with tears because she was and she was like having a genuine moment. I mean, this Valley girl was having a genuine moment of sort of embarrassment or whatever. And and I was like, oh, yeah, you are a very good actress, Tracy Nelson. That's Those funny. are my two. Yeah. I will say there was one other, there's a scene that I like more than the whole episode, but there's a moment in the episode, the arrangement where Marshall has, is trying to build this love machine to make Lauren admit that she loves him and it fails spectacularly and causes all these problems, of course, because it's a sitcom. There's a moment where Vinny is helping Marshall rig the machine. Hey, hey, we splice this stuff into the machine's response input. We can control the needle directly. Wow, I didn't know you knew about this stuff. Yeah, well, kind of comes naturally to us walking glance. Hey, hey, uh, I'm sorry about that, you know. I I was just so upset. Don't worry about it. I know what you mean. Women can drive you nuts. Why can't I understand? I mean, we're just ordinary, sensitive, decent guys looking for action. Get it. No Blackman? I like his style. They have this connection. They kind of stepped across the lines for a minute, and then the lines came back. And, And I'm like, that feels very real to me. Like yeah, we have common like- purpose, we have common purpose for five minutes. We're going to engage as human beings for five minutes and then we're just going to step away from it. And back. Yeah. To it felt like very, the breakfast club around two thirty. Yeah. during the detention, you know, despite our love for this series, why wasn't it renewed for a second season? Well, there are a lot of theories about that. There are a couple of stories that I've heard. 
one and probably the most salacious is that there was all this drug use on the set and that the kids were out of control and the studio couldn't wrangle them because they're way all the way in Norwalk where cars couldn't reach and helicopters couldn't fly. I'm not so sure I believe that. I think that the real answer is a little simpler and a little more of a business reason. And according to Beats, that's the case that when they got moved from Monday nights where they were up against Monday night football, little house on the prairie to Wednesday night where they were up against nothing at the time, they thought, well, this is going to be great. And then NBC moved the A-team. So they were up against the second half of the A-team and their numbers just went, oh, that'll do it. Their numbers just plummeted. And I think it was just a straight numbers deal. There may have been drug use on the set. I don't know. I wasn't there, but uh, I love it when a f- plan falls apart. <laughs> Do you guys think that if there had been a season two, it would have gotten better? No, I think the problem is this series worked because the idea was they're trying to get popular. Eventually they were going to figure out their niche and then the, the whole premise of the show is over. Yeah. Hmm. I will say, I think that the ending to the last episode of the, the season, the first season <laughs> is perfect. Like, yeah, I liked it, it they too. couldn't have done that any better. Right. Where, Oh, they, they had have to leave the party that they'd all work so hard to get invited to. And they end up over at Johnny's place and the band that was playing the party comes by to hang out afterwards. And so they're hanging out with the band at the end of it. And like, oh, hey, maybe my posse isn't so bad after all. I love that. That's adorable. Let me ask you guys this. Where does Square Pegs rank with other 80s TV shows that were set in school? I mean, the 80s were kind of full of them. We had Head of the Class, Saved by the Bell, Fame, the, the Fast Time uh, series became a show. Ferris Bueller was a show. Parker Lewis Can't Lose. I mean, where, where do you rank this, Jen? I wish I had done my homework before I started a conversation with you all. But I kind of wonder which came first, right? Because I feel like Square Pegs laid the groundwork for a lot of other things to come behind it. TV show, movies, books, even. I'm going to answer a question you didn't ask. But I, I tend to rank, in my mind, Square Pegs in with cult TV shows that I love and not other high school shows, if that makes sense. Because I think, I mean, it's pretty good, I think, especially since it was, if not the first, one of the first. Um, It's one that I loved dearly. Head of the Class, I enjoyed. Saved by the Bell, I think I was just a tad too young to like, to watch consistently. Loved Fame. And then the other three, Fast Times, Ferris Bueller and Parker Lewis, just weren't on for very long. I believe, and and Brad, you can correct me if you like, but Parker Lewis, I think that would have been the latest, right? That's a 90s show. Yeah. Yeah, I I snuck that on the list because I love that program. (laughs) It's funny. That's the best Ferris Bueller TV show that's ever been made. It's just funny. And there were actually there are four seasons of that show, but the first two is where all the gold is. I would put it pretty high because I think to your point, Jen, it got in first. And I feel like in spite of the fact that the writing's a little rocky in places, it's pretty smart. It doesn't focus on, it, it's not all about, oh, I need a boyfriend, you know, like that just gets tiring. It's about situations that are more relatable to people. The characters are fun. They kind of have their thing that they're doing. And to Steve's point, they're tropey, but they're not so tropey that it's annoying, right? Yeah. I would put this show above all of those shows, maybe fame. Like maybe fame's in there too, but mm. I feel like I feel like I give Square Pegs first mover points. I 
I put fame above it. And then I also, I'm also more inclined to sort of say, this reminds me of freaks and geeks, which would come, you know, much later. Yeah. I, I did limit the question here in the notes to eighties <laughs> TV shows because I had that exact same thought. TV was different then. you couldn't have made freaks and geeks. then. We read a lot of articles and one of them was this really cool one. Maybe we can link to it from 1983 from Rolling Stone. And in it, they're talking about how like they're making pop culture references all the time. Like there's one whole episode about how Marshall becomes addicted to playing Pac-Man, but they're making these references all the time. And one thing that I thought was really interesting is that they also reference like the Vietnam War, which they used to do all the time in the 80s and nobody does anymore. You know, things like that felt so 80s, just the references, because some of the references were from like the late 70s. Like they talk about Watergate and stuff like that. So I found that to be very fun in a historical kind of way. One thing we didn't talk about was whatever happened to Sarah Jessica Parker. And I think we all know, right? She like blew up. She blew up and she became this like force. (laughs) But what I love is that you can draw a direct line from Patty Green in Square Pegs to Carrie Bradshaw in Sex and the City. I can see a smart ass Carrie in high school being wry, being funny, being sarcastic and kind of caring, but not really caring. She would have dressed probably a whole lot better than poor Patty Green, who wore a lot of corduroy. I think that's part of the fun thing of like when you think back to high school and you think about like that, it gets better. You know, it gets better. You get better. You grow up. You get your braces off. You get contact lenses. You get married, have a kid and join the PTO. So it does. Wait, is <laughs> you, this about Carrie Bradshaw or is this about somebody else we're talking to? It's theoretical. It <laughs> purely theoretical. You know what else is purely theoretical? The, the Seggies. Ah, it's that new theme song we love so much. It's time for Stuck in the Arcade. Uh, we will play a snippet of an arcade game from the 80s. And if you get it right... You're entered into the drawing for Fabulous Swag, which comes in the form of a postal-friendly bottle opener. <laughs> Pay attention. Here was the clip from episode 597. Brad, what was that? Steve, that's Defender. Oh, of course. What am I thinking about? You might have been thinking it was Stargate. That's what i thinking sa- about. Same sound. <laughs> Some people actually got this one right this week. You ready to read some winners? I'm ready. Here we go. Winners this week include Matt from Denver, Alan Titus, Cliff Rosie, Joseph Purdue, Chris B. Critter, Tom Corn in Austria, John Ross from Charlotte, North Carolina, Michelle D. from Lexington, South Carolina. We've got a Carolina thing going here. John Clexton, East Coast Alex, Alejandro Sticks, Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico, Kevin Serving Wench, Dan in Omaha, Colin Hall, Gene and Hollister, Chuck Coverly, Bill with one L. Bluefest, Shan Nichols, Dave Augie August, Todd in Minnesota, Kyle K in Arkansas, Commodore 64 Will, Dallas in St. Joseph, Missouri, Phil from Adelaide, Keanu from Mitmo, Chris Joy, Andy from San Diego, Billy from Philly, Eric from Halifax, Chuck Whaley, Papa Smurf, Dan Newcomb, Jason Gunter, Carlos M. Hernandez, Fetch in Evansville, Kelly E., and Peeker Jerry in Gleeksville, who writes, but before I say what he wrote, I have to say, virtually everybody who wrote in said that's defender and i sucked at this game this game was so hard i could not play it it was impossible but i still pumped quarters into it yeah i loved it peaker jerry however writes 
back in the 80s, a friend of mine mastered the game. He could play for hours on one quarter. After reaching 1 million points, the score would reset to zero, so he had intentionally stopped playing when he reached 999,975 points to ensure he would be number one on the high score chart. He'd actually travel to arcades, pool halls, and bowling alleys across the city to do this. If you ever find an old game with the initials DTS at the top of the high score list, my buddy Dale, that's him, he played that game. Wow. I did tell a couple people, we're going to find the one person that was good at this, and we're going to make him teach us how to play this game. <laughs> it was a great one. It was even good on Atari. Way too many buttons on this game. Jen, you want to spin the wheel and find out who the uh, postal-friendly bottle opener goes to? Like, totally. It's been a while since I've done that. <laughs> okay. It's going to land on... John Ross from Charlotte, North Carolina. You're this week's winner. So email us your postal address and we'll get something out to you shortly. In the meantime, Brad is back with a devious new clip. (laughs) Ready? Pay attention. Here it comes. If you know it, email us at podcast at SITDs.com and tune in in a few weeks to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Monday on a special one-hour square peg. This is just the first event in my 10-day campaign of concentrated social climbing. But the peg's holiday plans fall flat when Patty gets a date with her father. He wants me by his side, silently baiting hooks with frozen eel chunks. Spend an hour with the peg's Monday. Totally different Christmas. Totally. And we're back. We have time for just a few more minutes. I thought, hey, let's play a round of What's Your 80s Obsession? Brad, what's your 80s obsession? Uh, you're going to laugh at me, Steve, but my 80s obsession right now is synthwave music. Yes, I am going to laugh at that. I know you have said many times on the show that you like to have a movie on the background, something you're familiar with when you're yeah. working to kind of yeah. distract you a little bit. I need music. I find that instrumental music is better. And so I have all these different playlists. I have like the high tempo get stuff done list. And I have the like the down tempo just get through the day list. But my son, we have this family playlist on Spotify. I know. Aw. And he put this track on there by this group guy. It's not a group. Wave Shaper. And I'm like, this is great. It sounds kind of 80s. I know it's not from the 80s, but it sounds kind of 80s. And so I just have been pulling up this guy's albums and listening to him for the last week. A lot of fun. That's nice. Jen, what about you? What's your 80s obsession? So my 80s obsession is a limited series on HBO Max called It's a Sin. And it actually comes over the pond to us from England. It's about this group of friends, like a bunch of misfits. And it's early 80s, like 1981. And they all move into a flat in London. And we watch them over these six episodes as the decade unfolds. Most of them are gay and most of them get AIDS. And it's during the AIDS crisis of the mid to late 80s. And it is such a charming show. It's so well-written, so well-acted. It's funny. And the music is so good. There's, you got your yes, you got your your rhythmics. I mean, lots of really fun new waves. And of course, Pet Shop Boys. But it's super fun. It is sad, but it's also very charming and lovely. I became addicted to it. I could not stop watching it. It's a sin on HBO Max. So my obsession is an upcoming show on Apple TV Plus, which I just got because I got a new iPhone. Now that I have the free subscription for a year, that you can see the upcoming promos. And there's one for a show called Physical. And it's set in the 80s. It looks like it's set in San Diego. 
you know, downtrodden housewife rediscovers herself by becoming an aerobics teacher. It's a dark comedy. The trailer has amazing music on it. It's uh, it's right up my alley. You know, oh I'm watch my gosh, every episode. the trailer is amazing. What's in this? I feel great. You know, powdered lemonade and speed. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if anyone noticed, but this is episode 600 for Stuck in the 80s. That's burying the lead, folks. A lot of times we do something special for the milestone shows. We, we, we chose just to kind of tackle a, a topic that meant a lot to us this week. But if you have any emails you'd like to send us, or if you want to send us a, a sound file with a you know message to us about uh, what the podcast has meant to you, we're hoping to get enough of those to compile like a, a special short show here in the uh, coming weeks. So if you want to record something or email us, podcast at SITs.com. Uh, it has been an absolute blast doing this for 600 straight episodes. It's probably actually more than that. But every time we sit down to do this with friends, it's it's just a special experience. Honestly, Steve, I mean, we enjoy doing this, but part of why we enjoy doing it is because of the feedback we get from you listeners. And so we'd really like to have you help us celebrate that 600th milestone. We do appreciate it. Reach out anytime. We, we love getting your, your your responses and your replies and your stories. Brad, glad you've been here for this uh, for this long run. It's been my pleasure, my friend. Jen, thanks for coming back and 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 treating us to your opinions on square pegs. Oh, thank you. And I am also interested to hear what people want to talk about too. You know, like we're all square pegs. Have we missed a peg? I'd love to know. I hope we helped you appreciate the legacy of a writer who made such a huge impact on our generation, even if maybe you didn't know about it until today. I hope Anne knew the impact. I, I think she did. In a piece written in Vanity Fair just a few weeks after her death, the writer Joy Press recounted an interview that she'd had with Ann Beats back in 2015. It, it was for a book that Joy was writing about women in television called Stealing the Show. During their chat, uh, Ann summed up her battles in show business this way, quote, It's taken me a long time to learn to smile more and be less aggressive. I wasn't girly enough. One of the issues in Hollywood is there are girls and there are ladies, but there weren't a lot of women. Just to be a regular woman was not a role that was recognized. A man has to invade a small country to be called aggressive, but with a woman, if she hangs the phone up on someone, that's it. Unquote. Wow. Girls and ladies, but no women. I hope times have changed. Please tell me they have. We'll miss you, Anne, and we thank you for everything you gave us. Forget the gender labels. To us, you are a legend, and that's why we remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.